Welcome to What Is Your Bitcoin Story podcast with your host, Gigi. This is a podcast where we explore the fascinating world of Bitcoin, the personal experiences and stories of those who have taken the dive down rabbit hole. We explore in Bitcoin stories with a diverse range of guests from early adopters, miners, traders, and maximum. So join us on this exciting journey of past, present, and future Bitcoin, one story at a time. price of any commodity tends to gravitate towards the production cost. If the price is below cost, then production slows down. If the price is above cost, profit can be made by generating and selling more. At the same time, the increased production would increase the difficulty pushing the cost of generating towards the price. Satoshi Nakamoto Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another captivating episode of What is Your Bitcoin Story podcast with your host, Gigi. Today, we have the privilege of sitting down with a true luminary in the world of Bitcoin, the one and only Jimmy Song. Jimmy Song's resume in the world of Bitcoin is nothing short of extraordinary. He's not just a Bitcoin educator, developer, and entrepreneur. He's an influential author with several groundbreaking Bitcoin books to his name. These include Programming Bitcoin, The Little Bitcoin Book, Thank God for Bitcoin, Bitcoin and the American Dream, and his latest literary masterpiece, Fiat Ruins Everything, which we will delve into in this very episode. But Jimmy Song's influence doesn't stop there. He's a sought-after speaker at Bitcoin conferences worldwide, sharing his insights and vision for the future of finance. His commitment to open-source development, particularly within the Bitcoin ecosystem, has solidified his reputation as a tireless advocate for decentralization and financial sovereignty. He believes that Bitcoin represents a unique opportunity to defund and decentralize the power of oligarchy, and he's deeply passionate about cultivating more developers to to strengthen the Bitcoin ecosystem. So join us as we embark on an enlightening journey into the world of Bitcoin with Jimmy Song. We'll explore his latest book, Fiat Ruins Everything, and delve into his profound insights, experiences, and unwavering dedication to the principles of Bitcoin technology. Get ready to be inspired. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Likewise. Thanks uh, so much for taking the time. And uh, like with all other episodes, um, let's let's kick it off with how did your Bitcoin journey start? And uh, let's take it right to the beginning. Yeah, so I I started on Bitcoin in 2011. Um, The very first exposure I got was a slash dot story, um, February of 2011. And slash dot, for those of you that are unfamiliar, is like a tech news website. Um, A lot of people use hacker news nowadays, but back then it was uh, it was slash dot was one of those places. So I went to um, slash dot and i saw a story where i didn't know anything and it was internet only currency bitcoin reaches dollar parity that was the that was the title and could tell that they didn't really know what bitcoin was either because the story is still on that website 
and it had a capital B and a capital C in the word Bitcoin, um, and like single word. Uh, so it it was uh, it was a very strange kind of uh, you know thing for me to see a story and not know anything about it. Um, so I, I was like, okay, that that's interesting. So I, I I looked at it, I studied it, I learned about the twenty one million limit, and almost immediately after learning about the twenty one million limit, I was like huh, this could actually work. And if this catches on, then I, I, I better be one of the first people and not one of the last people to get in. Um, so that, that was sort of my first thought. Um, and, uh, and that night, I still remember going to my wife uh, and telling her, I, I saw this thing, it's called Bitcoin, it's an internet currency, blah, blah, blah. And she thought almost immediately, Jimmy, that, that sounds like a scam. So I, uh, and you know, that's, I think what most normal people sort of react with. Um, but, uh, but you know, I, I was interested. So I tried to find ways to go get it for over the next several days. And I found out you couldn't buy it with a credit card, couldn't buy it very easily at all. In fact, uh, the only I, I tried to mine it too, but that wasn't working. Um, so the only way you could get it at that time was uh, at uh, at Mount Gox, and it was not easy to get money over to Mount Gox. So I I started the process, but uh, it was it was too annoying. Uh, you know, you had to use like a money transmitter, and then you had to link your account that you opened on Mount Gox with the money transmitter meter service and you have to verify your bank account with the money transmitter and all this other stuff. Um, so I was just like, ah, forget it. This, the, this taking too long. Um, and you know, that, that's sort of my Bitcoin regret story was, was exactly at that point. So, um, after that, uh, uh, around that summer, uh, of 2011, uh, Bitcoin went on its first bull run or, or the major or first major one uh it went from something like a dollar all the way up to 30 dollars in the span of a few weeks and it was it was one of the first instances of it getting some sort of mainstream press coverage and uh you know soon after it crashed from 30 dollars uh wired wrote a story about how bitcoin is dead um but that that brought it back uh and i was like oh man should really get this thing. And, uh, and I had started the process, so it wasn't quite as painful. So I finally, uh, transferred some money over and, uh, and, you know, uh, the rest is history from there, I guess. Um, I didn't really get into the coding aspect until 2013. And that was after the first, uh, bull run that year, uh, in April. Um, and before the second bull run in November, um, mostly I was just trying to um, earn some Bitcoin and somebody asked me or there, there was an ad on um, jobs for Bitcoin. It was like a subreddit uh, and I saw an ad for a Python programmer wanted and I was like, I, I'm a Python programmer. I messaged the guy, um, and he's still around to this day, by the way. Turned out to be a guy uh, that was in Ukraine, 
and he wanted some help for his open source project and he was willing to pay Bitcoin to get help. So I was like, all right, done. Yeah, just give me some work. Uh, I think a bunch of people replied to that and he was, uh, you know, he was handing out like these assignments um, and I came back the quickest, right? So I, I came back, I'm like, okay, yeah, here you go. He's like, oh, wow, you're you're pretty good at this. Uh, here, here, here's some more work. I came back, um, I, I sent it back and it was like, here, here's some more work, here's some more work and so on. Um, and it ended up being, you know, I had a 40 hour a week normal job and I had, I was coming home and working on this stuff like for another 40 hours a week. So I ended up doing that for a couple of weeks. Um, still to this day, probably some of the best per hour, you know, uh, Bitcoin that I've ever made. Um, and you know, that, that's how I got into the coding aspect. Um, yeah, I had to learn a lot of stuff that I didn't know mo mostly because the, the financial, uh, incentive, uh, of, of Bitcoin. No, amazing. I, I mean, uh, not everyone has has a start like you when when they're getting a signed project to do open source work and get paid uh, very fast Bitcoin. And as you said, in, in significant amounts, because Bitcoin was, well, essentially in dollar value worth a, a lot less back then. And, and I guess people didn't value it as much as they do today. And uh, and wow, what, what a what a way to to dip your toes in in this tech. And Kind of what what's your what's your story then? I I read something online. I don't know if this is true or not, but uh, you once bought some uh, some beef jerky, which you regretted down the line. Was was is that true? Yes, that is true. Um, so I uh, I I bought beef jerky. I think it was uh, around that time, maybe feeling rich from having earned some Bitcoin. Uh, and, you know, back then, you know, the, the narrative was much more around uh, payments, uh, you know, internet native payments and stuff like that. So there were a lot of uh, people sort of offering goods and services, uh, you know, like the most famous one, I think, is the alpaca socks in like 2011 or something like that. And people were paying like seven Bitcoin for a pair of alpaca socks back then was like $15, right? That, that was, yeah. like, that's fine. Um, but, uh, but you know, there, uh, there was, uh, somebody that was selling beef jerky. Um, and I'm a big fan of big beef jerky and they had lots of flavors. So I ordered about a hundred dollars of worth of beef jerky. Um, it cost me a quarter of a Bitcoin, uh, which is now like $8,000. Um, but yeah, that or seven thousand dollars, and that that uh, it was good beef jerky, but you know it wasn't that good. Uh, and you know th this is the thing about like all of these like payment use cases that a lot of people don't really get is that, or I mean they they do get it at some level, but they they don't really think about when it comes to long term um, holding is you know you're way better off you know, holding your Bitcoin and saving your money than buying anything. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of other stuff I bought with Bitcoin to sort of encourage these merchants. Um, I suspect that like none of them worked out uh, the way that I wanted it to. Most of these merchants just 
you know, uh, used the money to or sold the Bitcoin right away. I, I was just selling it for a good or service. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, it was a painful lesson, but you know, something something that you you kind of have to deal with, yeah. But it, it, it's one for the stories, right? It's, it's it's the story to 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 share with everyone. Well, as the saying goes, we we live and we learn, right? We can just know everything from the get go, and uh, and I guess it's better to learn earlier than than later. But yeah, um, it definitely is. <laughs> but was was the beef jerky your your first purchase that you you did with Bitcoin, or there was something else that was kind of your your? First? I probably bought other stuff. I just don't remember any of it. Um. You know, and a lot of them were very minor things and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I, I bought like Casatius coins, for example, but those are those have Bitcoin in them and stuff. So, I, you know, I, I don't I, I honestly don't remember a lot of it. Uh, but yeah, I I I did try to buy some stuff. Um, yeah, with with Bitcoin at various points, and I still do. Um, but now for a different reason, I'm mostly in. Uh, you know, I I don't really have that many dollars. I I, I mostly have Bitcoin, so that's why. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Well, we all strive to move to the Bitcoin standard, but I I, I guess we're all at different levels and and different parts of our life, and and you know, a lot of people also talk about. You know, they say don't spend the Bitcoin, keep it, hold it. But then kind of that also deferred, defeats the purpose to a certain extent, right? Because if everyone's just holding it, no one's really exchanging it. But maybe, and I would like to hear your um, opinions on that, maybe like a good thing that that, uh, that I think um, people should start doing is instead of just holding is spend and replace the Bitcoin, right? So if you want to buy something in dollar values, buy $100 worth of whatever it is, goods, t-shirts, jeans in Bitcoin so that you promote Bitcoin adoption, but at the same time, go back home and buy that hundred dollar worth of Bitcoin. So you're still holding the stack that you're holding for the long term. I think that's also like an interesting use case that some people could have because, you know, essentially you want to use this technology for something, right? Then instead of just, just holding. Uh, no, I, I, I disagree with that. Uh, and you you spend it when you need to spend it. Uh, if you're on a Bitcoin standard, there there's plenty of things that you need to buy anyway. And if the uh, and I I don't think you should um, be buying something from somebody just because they're offering it in Bitcoin. I mean, I, I I think you should act like any normal consumer. Buy something that has the best utility for you, because those are the goods and services that you want more of in the market that's i mean that that and you know i to be fair maybe maybe bitcoin payment option does give you utility it certainly does for me because then i don't have to worry about converting it or whatever uh but but generally if you're if you're doing like the spend and replace thing then you're just using bitcoin as a really crappy credit card with no benefits whatsoever um i i, I think I mean, there there are uh, ways to do that, I suppose, but I I don't really see the point. Um, like if you're going, uh, if you're going to spend money, um, you know, spend it on something that you find valuable, and it's a, like it's not a charity. You shouldn't be like buying something just because you know somebody is selling something in Bitcoin. I I have no need for alpaca socks. I have. <laughs> You know, like I, I don't want to buy alpaca. I mean, like I'm a libertarian. You're, you're not. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not. I, I don't want people to buy things 
just to uh, like i don't know somehow support the bitcoin network or something like that that's it's not how things work if you're a bad business person you like you should go out of business that's that that's how things work in any normal economy well i i like that jimmy definitely those worlds resonate with me and uh I'll think twice about spending my Bitcoin. Maybe I'm I'm much better off, as you said, just just holding it. And uh, we'll spend the dirty fiat, which uh, which I think uh, both sooner or later we need to use it up, right? So, um, okay. Well, then I, I want to learn before we go in, in, into kind of the hot topic of of the episode with with your latest book. I wanted to learn a little bit more. So, how did your journey evolve from from essentially where you left off? So, you, you tried buying some some goods um, for Bitcoin and. And then how did your kind of open source um, education and, and developer journey progress from then on? Uh, so that that open source project was sort of my my first exposure to that stuff. Um, and, you know, it, it was pretty frustrating because there there weren't that many good resources to learn any of that stuff. Um uh, but I did realize at that point that I was way more passionate about this than anything else. So uh, I ended up uh, quitting uh, my fiat job and uh, and started looking for, well, I, I, I was hired by a company that was sort of doing something Bitcoin related, or at least I was hired to do uh, Bitcoin related stuff. Um, and, I, and, you know, that, that was like, okay, cool. Like I'm, I'm actually working on Bitcoin. Um, and I, I was, uh, programming in go, I think at that point and, uh, implementing a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and it, it, uh, it was fun except the company was, uh, you know, led by, um, you know, people that didn't really know what they were doing. Uh, and you know, the, the guy in particular, so I, I worked for a company called Monitas. And they were based out of Switzerland. Um, the main guy was Johan Gavers, and he he just he he was just a terrible businessman. <laughs> what, what can I say? Uh, you know, he he's maybe more known in this industry now as being one of the I, I don't know, like board members of Tezos or something. And he he ended up uh, you know relinquishing that. Uh, board member seat. I think he probably got bribed out of it or something like that. But like he lost all the investor money. He raised like millions of dollars for this company, just lost it all because he didn't know what the hell he was doing. So, uh, you know, that I did that for a while. Um, and I, I uh, you know, I, that gave me kind of a lesson in like, uh, okay, like try to go to a product that people, you know, want or need and instead of like, this guy that really couldn't tell anything <laughs> from anything else. So, uh, I, uh, I went to armory after that, that was, uh, one of the early Bitcoin wallets and, uh, and that, that was really cool. Uh, I got to work on a lot of wallet software and learn all the sort of intricacies of custody and stuff like that. We had a lot of different products that were probably too early for its time a lot of custody stuff um you know multi-sig and stuff that you know casa and unchained do now we we had a lot of that stuff back then 
just we we were too early to market, so no, nobody really wanted any of that stuff. Um, but uh, but yeah, we ran out of money there, uh, and uh, and I went to Paxos after that. Um, and again, I was doing Bitcoin stuff, and well, I it was more blockchain stuff, but it was a Bitcoin company. I tried to make blockchain, not Bitcoin, work for two years. Um, couldn't do it because it's making a decentralized, centralized, or a centralized, decentralized thing. It just, it's just sort of a logical impossibility. Um, but, uh, but towards the end of that, I realized like uh, at the three previous companies, I had trained developers in some way, shape, or form um, because I was frustrated with the lack of material out there. And it, I, I was also frustrated on the other side, trying to hire people that knew what they were doing um, or getting them up to speed. So uh, so I started teaching, um, you know, the basics of Bitcoin uh, in a very fundamental way. And I thought I could uh, I could maybe go do that in the market. And by then, I, you know, I was somewhat known in the community. Um, I was getting more followers on Twitter. I was uh, appearing on YouTube shows. So I, I had enough marketing channels to give this a shot. Um, and so I went off on my own and uh, and started the class uh, programming blockchain, which is, um, you know, which which I still teach sometimes. Um, and that that was the, you know, beginning of sort of getting out of the fiat world, basically, because uh been been doing bitcoin only stuff ever since amazing and and i guess my, my next question to you jimmy would be how did you come to write your first book what what inspired you to to kind of put your knowledge on on paper and and, and distribute it to the world yeah so i i started teaching that class and uh you know there's nothing like teaching people to get really uh, good feedback and learn how to teach it even better. So I kept um, I kept uh, iterating it. And at some point, a friend of mine approached me about like writing a book together. Um, and, you know, because he had been approached by a publisher. Um, and I asked him, I, I asked around about, okay, like, how do you get like a good deal with a publisher? And they're like, well, you, you need to go to more publishers. So it wasn't O'Reilly that um, that approached uh, my friend. And so I, I uh, you know, uh, went to went through my Rolodex, I guess, and just tried to try to find other publishers that might be interested. Turned out that O'Reilly was interested and um, I was very familiar with their book. So that that's the publisher I really wanted. And, uh, and, you know, my friend ended up kind of dropping out of the project because he, he thought he didn't, he couldn't really commit time to it. So I ended up being the sole author and I based it off of the class that I was teaching. So, um, you know, that, that was basically the story of that book. And, you know, I got the contract in December of 2017, I finished it late 2018 and then it went through the editing process so it got published in 2018 so that 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 was it it was just you know i i made a book proposal they were interested and they um you know assigned me an editor and i i wrote the book yeah but that sounds amazing because i 
I heard some stories of people that want to get their first book published. They they go through some crazy hurdles and a lot of publishers don't want to work with them. And it's it's nice to hear that in your case, I guess it was the right time, the right place. Bitcoin was trending. Everybody wanted to learn. So I guess uh, it, it's nice to hear. And and then kind of th that was the programming Bitcoin, right? The, the, the first mm -hmm. book that, mm -hmm. that you wrote. And then I guess um, your, your next one, which is the little Bitcoin book, and believe it or not, Jimmy, but uh, some of our, our, our guests so far on, on the podcast, when I asked them, how did you get into Bitcoin? Believe mm -hmm. it or not, but already out of the 10 episodes that we recorded, a handful of them said, I came across Jimmy Song's book called The Little Bitcoin Book. I read it <laughs> and it kind of, it started there. So um, mm. yeah, what was that kind of, what was your thought process behind the second book? I guess it was to make something simple for the average Joe to read and kind of have this light bulb moment, right? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, the origin story of that one is uh, from uh, from pub uh, from writing the first book. So, uh, I mean, the the process of writing a book by yourself is actually pretty pretty hard because uh, you have to motivate yourself. You have to get in there and really uh, write everything down and. I think at that time, at least, I, I didn't really have the discipline to do that. So my my editor was kicking my ass. I just like every update call, like Jimmy, you what what's going on? You you need to you need to write all this stuff. And uh, so that August, um, it was like August of 2018. I'm still writing the book and trying to get it out. Um, I I got invited to this. Um, this thing that uh, O'Reilly puts on, which is uh, well, no, no, it was it was uh, August of twenty nine. Uh, no, was it twenty? No, it was twenty eighteen, and uh, it they were. Um, it, it's called Friends of O'Reilly, so Foo Camp, and uh, and they bring in um, some of their authors, obviously, uh, but also you know lots of other people, just like interesting people, and they get them together and uh in sebastopol and you know you just sort of hang out and talk to uh people and it's uh, it's what's called an unconference so there's no agenda but you know you you have any ideas for people to gather and talk about something then you can you can put it up there and people gather and you hang out and you talk ab about random stuff so, um, you know, I'm, I'm with uh, some other O'Reilly authors and I was lament lamenting about, you know, how long my book was taking. It's like it, it had been at that point like eight months and they were like, oh, ah, that's totally normal. Right. Like my, you know, the book I wrote took two years or, you know, uh, yeah, the, the, this other one I know took like seven and they're like, you know, the average is like a year and a half, you know, that's, that's totally normal, especially technical books, because you got to get everything right and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, well, I feel a little better, you know, like, uh, at least this is normal or whatever. And then I saw um, one of the, uh, one of the sessions that someone had put up, how to write a book in a week. And I was like, Okay, what whatever this is, I need to go to this and figure out how you write a book in a week. And this guy um, had basically been uh, part of this company that created this process called Book Sprints, right? And it's it's this idea that uh, you get some experts together and you put them in a room and uh, and you write the book in a week and. 
you know, he he had, he had, he was part of a company where they they did they sort of coach you through it and they charge actually quite a bit of money to get you to write a book in a week. But they they had this entire process and everything else. Um but uh, but you know he he described it and I was like wow you can you can do that and he's like yeah and you know uh, here here's uh, you know some uh, some of these other things he showed us the website he showed us some books that that have been written so I at that point I became really curious about this idea of a book sprint and uh, you know that that was uh, 2018 uh, you know fast forward to. I think it was May of 2019, and I'm at the Oslo Freedom Forum, um, hanging out with Alex Gladstein and some other people. Um, and you know, it, it was a it was a great conference. Um, I, I met a bunch of uh, you know human rights activists, people within Bitcoin and stuff. That was really the first year I think where they they made Bitcoin sort of like a big highlight. Uh, Anyway, uh, after the conference, uh, Alex called me, and he he was uh, he wanted to write a book on Bitcoin with uh, one of the board members of uh, Human Rights Foundation, Alex uh, Alex Lloyd, uh, and they 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 wanted to write a book on Bitcoin, and they uh, wanted to get me to review their book, and. Uh, so I took the call and uh, the three of us were on the call and they were like, okay, yeah, so, you know, we want to write this book and, you know, be towards newbies and stuff like that uh, and, you know, give give this argument and have a strong human rights element to it. Um, and we we would love it if you if you could sort of like help us along, like just sort of review it and make sure all the technical stuff is correct and so on. I was like, okay, that that's really cool. How are you guys writing it? Oh, you know, we'll we'll get together and write like what uh you know it, it'll take us like a year or whatever. And it's like, okay, I'm gonna pitch them on this book sprint idea. So I was like, you know, um, this you might not be interested in it at all, but uh, but there's this uh this thing I had heard about that I've really wanted to try. And this sounds like the perfect opportunity to try it. And I told them about the entire thing, the same story I'm telling you now. And uh, and I was like, okay, you know, uh, like I, I think all we need is a week and we need about eight authors and we could we could make it like really cool and get get it all written in that week and, and start selling it. They love the idea. And, uh, you know, those two were, uh, you know, two of the seven co-authors I had for this project. And Alex essentially recruited from the Bitcoin people that were at the Oslo Freedom Forum. Um, he wanted it to be to have a diverse array of uh, perspectives. So we got, you know, Timmy from Nigeria, Elena from Eastern Europe and Luis from the Philippines and uh alejandro from venezuela so like we we had a very broad perspective um and we we uh and alex lloyd found us this amazing place to like uh go go this do this writing i think it was one of his friends places and you know uh it had like 
nine bedrooms and it was like a vacation house. So all, all eight of us had our own room with our own bathroom. There was like a pool and everything and, you know, workout area and a full kitchen and everything. So, uh, you know, none of them knew what a book sprint was. And frankly, neither did I, but I, I came up with like a rough process and I was like, okay, I, you know, I've, I've, I've done, you know, product sprints before as a coder and I know roughly how these things go. So I, I came up with a process, um, you know, had them, uh, had, like just sort of talked about, uh, first of all, like, uh, what audience we wanted to address this book to. And so I had everybody just, uh, you know, write out exactly who they want this book to be, uh, you know, who, who they want, uh, who they imagined their audience to be. Um, and, uh, and everybody wrote something and we, we recorded it. Um, you know, I still have the Excel, uh, spread or Google sheets, uh, thing with all of this. Uh, and, 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 you know, like we went around and talked about it and said, okay, yeah, I, I, I want my grandmother to read this and kind of get it. And, you know, I might, and I, I, I was very specific, right. That's like, okay, make sure it's like, you know, what they want, what, what they're like, what, what cultural things they're familiar with. Um, you know, are they male, female, are they a college graduate or not? What, what, what do they work in? Um, do they know anything about Bitcoin? Blah, blah, blah. So we did that first. And then the second thing that I did with them was, okay, write the Amazon review you want to see after they read this book, right? What's the ideal Amazon review that you want them to see? So all of them wrote, you know, some, some different things. Um, I think, uh, you know, all, almost all of them said five stars. One, one, one guy wanted to be different. So he said four stars, you know, I didn't agree with all of it, blah, blah, blah. But you know, we, we, uh, again, I have all of these in a Google sheet somewhere. And so we, we wrote all of those down and, uh, and at that point it was, okay, so you know where they are now, cause you know, the target audience, you know, where they, you want them to be by the end of reading this book, uh, when, when they write these reviews. What is everything that they need to know to get from point A to point B? And I had them write one idea per uh, post-it note and put it all up on the wall. Uh, so we, we, we were all in sort of like basically a dining room and we stuck post-it notes all over the place. Uh, well, we, we wrote them all down and posted them all on the wall. And then, uh, and then we went and uh, organized all of them. So said, all right, now, now let's go group these, right? Like, what are the common things, or what, what, what are closely related things? And uh, and I think we ended up with like eight bundles of stuff, um, and we ended up reducing that to five, uh, which ended up being, uh, and we labeled each group, and those became the chapter titles. Um, at that point, we organized them into an order that would make sense for the reader, right? Like, what do they need to know first out of these five general topics? And that became our table of contents. Using those table of contents, we um, we had a bunch of post-it notes for each of these. So uh, we we 
made a grid of eight people and these uh, these five chapters and plus uh, frequently asked questions that we put in the back uh, and said, all right, every, everyone's going to touch every chapter, you know, people, you know, take take a first pass. You can you could do whatever you want with with these. You can don't apologize about deleting. Don't apologize or whatever. Uh, and we're going to use Google Docs and everyone, uh, you know, take a chapter. And and we did this for like three days, uh, editing, re-editing, re-re-editing, re-re-re-editing. Everyone touched every chapter. And by the end of it, we, um, you know, Luis is like, uh, has some graphic design experience. So he made the cover, he made the PDF, he uploaded it uh, to Amazon um, and we had it for sale. By the by, by the end of five days, basically, it wasn't even a full week. Uh, but that that that's what we did, and uh, yeah, I that that's the story. What a story! I mean, going from the first book of of eight months of 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 so to say pins and needles to there you go five days in in a house with with seven co-authors just making all the magic happen. Wow. Um, that's amazing. Uh, I, I guess all, all, all the people that go orange pilled that came on the podcast that read your book, uh, the, the small Bitcoin book, will, will love this story in particular <laughs> to hear how it came about. Um, mm. Jimmy, I guess then let, let's go to the, to the highlight and, and the main topic of, of today's um, episode. Big, uh, Bitcoin, fiat ruins everything. And uh, <clears throat> how, first of all, how, how did you come around to, to how did this idea come, come around to, to write this book? And I, and I think in this particular book you did something else you, you did a crowdfunding right round for mm -hmm. it which i believe is is finishing in a few hours so mm -hmm. unfortunately the listeners won't be able to participate in it but definitely the listeners should go to amazon um or your website and and go ahead and, and order a copy but i would like to hear your thought process how did you come around and and i guess this is the first book of yours that doesn't have bitcoin in the title right so uh it it's interesting <laughs> uh, what it's in the subtitle and how Bitcoin <laughs> fixes it, but uh, but yeah, it, it is uh, uh, it, it is a book that's uh, that's a little different. So I, I use the book sprint method for thank God for Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin and the American Dream, and you know both both of those are really fun to do. Um, they're very intense though. These book sprints, like you're working like a dog, you know, like you're you're. you're if you think about like getting a book out in a week, it's it's a lot of work and everyone has to do a lot of work. So those things are a, a, a tad bit exhausting. And, you know, you're you're staying up till like 2 a.m. sometimes and, you know, you're like, you know, ordering food a lot and, you know, and stuff like that. So it was fun. It's uh, but, you know, it's a, it's a little bit exhausting. Um, this one came more about as a result of. Um, of David Perel's class. So David's a friend of mine. And, um, you know, after years of knowing him, I was like, okay, I'm finally going to take your uh, rite of passage class. He he teaches how to write on the internet, basically. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's a great class. He's been running it for many years now. And, you know, I, I was always curious, okay, what, what does he teach in this stuff? And is it going to make, uh, you know, writing a lot easier? Um, and you know, I, 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 I had written a lot of stuff before, uh, it, it was just sort of a painful process to write stuff. Uh, I think before the class, just because 
it sucks uh, staring at a blank page and having to put something on there. And uh, uh, and the class was extremely useful, right? It's kind of expensive, but I think it was worth every penny because in a sense, it gave me the tools I needed to, uh, to write uh, a lot more abundantly, right? Like one of the things that he says is write from abundance. Um, take notes and things from everything that you consume so that you're not writing out of nothing, right? You you write from material that you already have in many ways. Uh, so uh, taking that class, I, I made it like especially hard on myself. Uh, I, uh, the most, most people that take the class, right? Maybe four or five articles uh, and the, you know, it's like a six week class and you write about four or five articles and that, that's that's your output, right? That's the tangible thing you have at the end. I decided to write one every day. Um, so I wrote something every day. I got a lot of feedback. I um, I wanted to have this ability to um, constantly be putting stuff out uh, and like not get scared of that work. And afterwards, I felt like, okay, you know what? I have a superpower now. I can I can write about anything and uh, you know say something reasonably intelligent about it. Uh, and I started writing for Bitcoin Magazine right after that, um, and that worked really well. Um, I, I had some, I had a lot of articles, many of which uh, you know are in the book, uh, but you know heavily modified because I, I had to like make it consistent with the theme and so on. Uh, but that that was the beginning of it. Um, and I went on a journey with my family. So I took my kids out of school and traveled the world with them for about a year. And that was a good time to take some of these articles, write new ones and uh, and make the uh, make the case for how fiat ruins so much stuff. So I went to a lot of different meetups. I talked to a lot of people. And those gave me a lot of ideas as well on, okay, here, here are some other things that Fiat ruined. So, um, you know, that, that's basically the story of the book. And, uh, after I finished, uh, you know, I, I was writing it all throughout. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's now, now a book, you know, I mean, I, I know it's audio only, but you know, this it's uh, probably my longest, it's the longest book I've published. It's 340 pages. It's, uh, you know, a lot of thoughts on fiat money and how it ruins, you know, uh, individual incentives, uh, corporate incentives, national incentives, even global incentives. Amazing. Well, I personally can't, can't wait to, to, to get my hands on it. Um, and then hopefully, I know we're both attending Bitcoin conference in Amsterdam. Um, I'll hopefully mm -hmm. get you to also sign it to have my piece of history and, on, on that one. Uh, but yeah, definitely all the listeners um, on, on the podcast, definitely make sure to go check out Jimmy's latest book, um, How Fiat Ruins Everything. Um, I guess, Jimmy, um, I don't know how, how much time we, we, we still have left um, on your end, but um, maybe I kind of just want to ask you, which I usually ask other guests, to give some piece of advice to people who are yet to start their Bitcoin journey. Um, and I guess your, your journey was so long and, and you've seen a lot of mm. things in your times, the ups and downs. Um, and, and with your wisdom and knowledge, what would be some advice that you would give um, to people that are essentially on the sidelines waiting to, to enter the Bitcoin standard for themselves? Yeah, so 
part of it is, uh, you know, you really there there are two entrances to Bitcoin, right? And uh, and I'll take an analogy from the Bible. There's the narrow gate, which is uh, which is a long and harder journey, and then the wide gate, the very easy journey uh, into Bitcoin. Um, the easy journey into Bitcoin is what most people enter Bitcoin on. It's uh, hearing a, about something from a friend and just sort of like buying it and not understanding anything. Most of those people end up in all coins at one point or another. Because why? Well, they enter through the white gate and they don't have any discernment about what's actually going on or the actual value proposition of Bitcoin. So they go to things that are superficially similar, but aren't. Um, the narrow gate is it, it requires a much longer journey. It requires a lot of study and understanding what Bitcoin is for, what money actually is. And as much as you like to think that you understand money because you spend it all the time and you're earning it all the time, maybe you have investments and so on, you really don't. And that's, uh, that's something that most people are not uh, humble enough to admit in many ways. Uh, but that it, that is the path that I've observed leads you to not just wealth, but wisdom and virtue. Um, I was, uh, I was on, I, I was recording with safe Dean yesterday. And, uh, and one of the things that we were reflecting on is then, you know, the, the money is amazing, right? Like, you know, get, get, being in Bitcoin and getting richer is, uh, is certainly a huge benefit, but both of us, uh, we, what we were reflecting on is that, you know, that that's not the end of it. The, the real prize is the low time preference behavior. It's, it's mm. virtue. It's becoming better people. And both of us observed that that is something that's happened in our lives is as you get Bitcoin in your life and you lower your time preference, you become somebody uh, that's better than you were before. And that that life change is actually worth more than the Bitcoin that uh, the value of the Bitcoin going up. So that narrow road in in order to get to that point, though, you have to go through this narrower, uh, narrower gate. Um, and that gate is. Um, you know, years in the making. It is not easy to get through. Um, even extraordinarily smart people, extraordinarily dedicated people, extraordinarily insightful people, uh, like say uh, Naib Bukele, uh, Michael Saylor, Russell Kung, like the, those are the people that come to mind that have gone through the narrow gate. Um, like initially, like they they never went through the wide gate. Um, it still took them like many months of study, right? And if it took them months, it's probably going to take the average person a few years. And I, I know it certainly took me a few years. It, it was, you know, I, I spent money on beef jerky or whatever, and I dabbled in all coins. Like that, that that's, uh, that's something that a lot of people go through because they go through the wide gate. But if you are just coming into the Bitcoin journey, go through the narrow gate. It's going to save you so much heartache. It's going to be much better for your bottom line. It's going to be much better for you as a person, for your character, for 
your level of discipline for all kinds of things if you enter through the narrow gate. But that narrow gate is not easy. It requires a serious study. Go read the Bitcoin standard and go read all of Safe's books, actually. They're, they're all very good for that. Go read stuff like hopefully my book, um, you know, Fiat Ruins Everything. Learn about what it is that what what the problem is in fiat and what Bitcoin is actually solving. And once you understand that, once you understand decentralization and all this other stuff, then you can really begin your Bitcoin journey. Because until you get to get through that narrow gate, I mean, you're you're just sort of a gambler. You know, and uh, and th those people sell at the first opportunity, first time they're scared or something like that. You you're not going to have any conviction, and the people that make money in Bitcoin, they're the ones with conviction. You 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 couldn't have said it better, Jimmy. I I, I strongly believe um, that that the longer you are in Bitcoin and the more that you understand it, as you said. The kind of the value of, of fiat equivalent is nice, but it's not the main factor, which people think in the beginning, like how much money can I make? As you said, it, it makes you more humble. It, it brings you back to brings you down to earth, uh, which I think is highly needed in this uh, slightly crazy, chaotic world that we live in, where everybody's all over the place and kind of the greed is the next thing. So uh, I also I'm, I'm, I'm a true deep believer that, that Bitcoin can solve a lot of things apart from monetary, but just help you be a better person, be a better individual, husband, father, um, mm. and, and and hopefully more people take the narrow route. As you said, mm -hmm. it's the harder one. We as a, as human nature, it is, we like the easy way, right? Like why do mm. something hard when it can be easy? But I guess sometimes it is better to go down the hard path and, and, and learn the proper way than uh, be here today and, and, and gone tomorrow. Uh, Jimmy, I mean, I, I'd like to thank you from the bottom of my heart once again um, for you coming on. It was uh, it was an absolute honor. Um, been following you for many, many years, as I mentioned <laughs> in the beginning. Uh, but now having you on the show, hopefully this is um, the first one of many. Would love to have you back in the future on your next book or whatever comes next <laughs> down Jimmy Song's route. Uh, definitely, where, where could we um, direct listeners to, to follow you and, and learn more about um, you and, and what you're doing? Yeah, I'm on a lot of different platforms. So you can uh, find most of it through Jimmy Song on Twitter or my newsletter, jimmysong.substack.com. Um, the you know the new book I have I have the domain fiatruinseverything.com, so you can go check it out. Um, I'll probably put something else on there by the time this episode airs. Right now, that's it, it's just a crowdfund. Um, but yeah, th those are the main places, but I'm on Noster, I'm on uh, LinkedIn, I'm on Gab, I'm on Stacker News, I'm on YouTube. There, there are all kinds of places. Uh, you know, just go, go check out my Twitter and some of these other places. Amazing. Well, as you guys heard it, Jimmy's everywhere. And uh, I guess the last words is uh, spend your fiat and uh, stack your sats and ho hold them tight. <laughs> yes. Yes. Jimmy, once again, thanks a lot. Uh, keep keep on doing the amazing work that you're doing. And um, I'm looking forward to, to meeting you in person next month at the Bitcoin Conference Amsterdam. Yeah, sounds good, Dan. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of What Is Your Bitcoin Story podcast. Remember to subscribe and share with your friends and family. For more valuable Bitcoin resources, visit our website at whatisyourbitcoinstory.com. 
keep stacking sats, stay safe, spread the Bitcoin revolution.